Hi, my name is Vito. Hi, family. This is what you've been waiting for. So let's all settle down. We're going to have the speaker now. The man that we chose to speak this morning has a real powerful message. First time I heard him was at a workshop at Chesapeake and Potomac on the traditions, and it turned on light bulbs for me. My understandings of the traditions really opened up. Every time I hear him speak, I grow and I learn. He has a beautiful and a wonderful message for you. With that, I give you Greg P. from Georgia. story, so you won't hear that. All I ever did was use. I was never arrested. I was never hospitalized. I was never in treatment. I never did any of those things that label us as addicts. All I did was use. Um, I started using medical community. At age six or seven, they started giving me diet pills, and I loved them. Prescription never lasted as long as it should. I'd board them up and use them, and I'd trade off, and the medicine cabinet was fair game. This sounds weird up there. <laughs> the echo is about... A half a phase off what I say. And that's what it used to be like. I was always, you know, half a second behind. I was always out of phase with reality. I never connected with my head and my gut. I never felt like I was here. I never felt like I was a part of. I always felt like an echo. I used and missed my adolescence. I didn't really use anything but pills till I was in high school. Um, I found out there was other drugs. I can't lean to the right. <laughs> I found out there was other drugs, and I had a love affair. Um, I used a lot of acid. Uh, I shot a lot of psychedelics and lush. Uh, I shot a lot of heroin. And that's all I did. Um, I used every day. What it was like was kind of like Monterey Pop Festival. Um, I was there. I have no idea what happened. I have a ticket stub. Don't ask me about it. The guy landing on the moon, right? Uh, you know, I nodded out and missed it. Um, that's what it was like. That's all I did. I couldn't go out without being loaded. Until I got clean, I'd never done anything without being loaded. I'd never been on a date. I'd never been 
to school. I'd never been to a movie. I'd never been to the store. I'd never been anywhere except under the influence. That's all there was to it. In 1970, I started looking for help. Because I'd gotten to that point that we get to where I knew I couldn't continue to live the way I was living. I'd gotten to the point where I loathed myself a little bit more every time I stuck a needle in my arm. And I started looking for help. I did several things. Uh, I got married. I'm still married. Uh, we celebrated our 16th anniversary um, last last week. Um, I tried a psychologist. He never knew what was going on. Um, I tried going back to my church, and that didn't work. Nothing worked. And that's one of the feelings that really stands out from the last of my using, was that there was no place to go. I was looking for help, and nothing helped. Um, one comment I make a lot of times is that you had to be pretty fucking sick to even find this son of a bitch in 1970. But I found it. Now, I came in through the hotlines. I started calling the referral services and, I, and the help lines and the suicide lines. And somewhere down the line, someone said, are you eligible for Narcotics Anonymous? And I said, I don't know. What do you have to be? We don't know either, but here's this phone number. Um, and I called. And no one came to get me. And no one even really talked to me for any length of time. They just said, well, come to a meeting, check it out. Uh, there was a meeting that night uh, that was about 30, 40, 40 miles away. And that was too far to go. That was on a Tuesday night. I had my last fix of that run uh, the morning before. I'd been shooting a quarter to a half ounce a day. And I was sick. Um, I figured that if I got a few more days in, then I might be able to make it. And he told me about another meeting on Thursday night that was closer to home. And I figured, well, Thursday, you know, fourth day, yeah, maybe. Um, I promised him. I'd go to that meeting. I don't know why. You know, we do strange things when we're using. And I was one of these people that I didn't promise much because I couldn't deliver much. You know, I couldn't promise to raise the child that my wife and I gave up for adoption before we were married. Uh, I couldn't promise to be alive in six months. I couldn't promise to be anywhere. But I promised, and I kept that promise. I can remember vaguely spending most of the day trying to get ready. Um, I washed, which was a miracle. 
um, I got all dressed up. The day before, I'd spent driving for like 12 hours because doing something helped take the edge off. Uh, I came to my first meeting. My wife came with me. I was wearing a, a three-piece black suit and a tie. I was all cleaned up because I didn't want you to know who I was. After all, I'm going with these addicts at Narcotics Anonymous. And I was scared. I was scared of you because, you see, I knew about addicts. I'd read Naked Lunch and some of the other books. You know, you know, I knew about people gouging holes in their legs and pouring the dope in. Uh, I never did that. You know, I knew about people in Folsom Prison. You know, I never did that. I was the guy that was always driving up and seeing all the strange cars at the Connections house and saying, not today. I'll go somewhere else. You know, or I was the guy who was leaving the Connections house and they'd turn the corner. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, perhaps the fact that I was never arrested for my using, for my illegality, will someday allow me to carry the message somewhere that I couldn't carry if I had a record. Who knows? Anyway, I came to that first meeting, and I really remember very little of it. Lois probably remembers more. Uh, I know I was asked to speak. I have no idea what I said. There were about 20, 30 people in the room. And that was one of 20 Narcotics Anonymous meetings in the world. To come here and see you guys, you know, is a dream come true for me. Uh, maybe Narcotics Anonymous was a tenth of the people who were here today. I guess we had somewhere around 200 members. Uh, and people were in and out. And the only thing I remember for that first meeting was someone said, you never have to use again against your will. And I identified that. I'd been using against my will for a long time, for a year. I hadn't wanted what I had. And it wasn't that I was in so much trouble. It's just that I was dead inside. I had this emptiness. I had this loneliness. I had this fear. I had this anger. I had this resentment. I had this self-obsession. I had this pain that drove me here. If I didn't hear anything else, that was enough to get me started. Because I went to a meeting the other night. Or I tried. Actually, what happened is I left at about 7 o'clock for an 8.30 meeting. Meetings ran 8.30 to 10. And I finally found the sucker at about 10 minutes to 10. And I had a spiritual awakening. You see, I was in my car alone for three hours with money in my pocket, and I didn't go use. And 
based on my recent experience, that had been impossible. I got there in time for the basket and the prayer. Uh, and it really fixed me. You see, I was taking positive action in my life. And I'm also one of, the, one of those that believes this is a program of action. You know, don't tell me how good you're doing. Show me in the way you live. Don't tell me how good you're doing if you're still ripping and running. Because I won't go for it. This is a program of growth and change. And they told me that I had to make a 180-degree turn in my life. They didn't tell me to pick up both feet, so I spun for about three years. But, you know, what the hell. Um, they told me that I had to change everything about me. They told me if I got up on the right side of the bed, start getting up on the left side of the bed. They told me that I had to become Narcotics Anonymous. They told me I had to bet my life on Narcotics Anonymous. They told me that I probably wouldn't make it unless I wanted it more than anything else in the world. And at that point in my life, I did. A strange thing happened after I'd been clean a little while. Uh, I started getting healthy, I started accumulating some shit, and I forgot. I forgot, and it damn near killed me. Anyway, coming around the program, I used twice after I got here, and I think that's real significant. Uh, I don't call them relapses, I wasn't even here. I came to my third, first meeting on a Thursday, and I used that Sunday behind lack of sleep, because it had been a week since I closed my eyes and had them stay that way on their own without forcing them. And I knew how to sleep. You know, I knew if I fixed, I'd be loaded for a while, and then I'd sleep, and I went for it. And I came back and stood up again. We didn't have white chicks. What you had to do was you had to stand up for a month. We have any newcomers here within their first 30 days? And it was embarrassing. You know, because they'd look at you funny. Oh, there he goes again. And not a hell of a lot of people stayed clean. The second time I used after I came to the program, this is great. <laughs> I had this friend who uh, I brought to the program. See, I had two days clean, and I went to see him. And I said, I found this wonderful thing. Uh, there's a new way. Isn't it wonderful? Look. And I took him to his first meeting on that Sunday. And his reaction was, this is bullshit. I'm going to get loaded. Let's go cop. And I said, no, 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 you can't do that. You'll wreck my recovery. <laughs> and we used my outfit, and I bought. <laughs> and I don't ever want to forget that. Because I didn't get loaded. I'd been used to that. 
I hadn't been getting loaded in close to a year. I'd just been catching up, getting well. Uh, but what I did do was go immediately back in withdrawals. And it was worse than it had been a week and a half before. You know, I got trash fever, and I shook, and I couldn't lay on a king-size bed, and I hurt, and it, it was terrible. And that kept me clean. You know, there's something very therapeutic about kicking a habit. There's a, a few times I didn't use strictly behind. I never want to go through that like that again. And that's how I got here. You know, I got here hurting, crazy, dying, and desperate. You know, I had nothing. I felt all used up. You know, I'd done everything, and I was ready to die. And I didn't have a whole lot to use. I didn't have a whole lot to lose. I think I said use last time. I had plenty to use. I didn't clean up because the drugs disappeared. I had nothing left to lose. It's kind of like that, Jan that Janis Joplin song. Freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. That's where I was. We were flying up here, and my wife was reading this book, and there was another little thing on freedom in this, you know, paperback fantasy book that I think is real beautiful. And it said, freedom doesn't mean we get to choose what happens to us. It means we get to choose how we respond to what happens to us. But back in those early days, I was still carrying the dope fiend dream, absolute freedom with no responsibility. <laughs> fixed me. And coming around the program fixed me. And I spent three or four months staying clean behind being high because I wasn't using. Not having to get up sick and hustle for a get up. Not having to kiss the connections ass. Not having to do all those things. Rip off my friends. Rip off my family. All those things that we have to do to use. It was so good not to have to do that shit that I got high off of it. And that kept me clean. I went through a lot of things that I see people go through. I believe there are a series of thresholds in this program. And I'll talk a little bit about those because they're real important to me. Because I got real scared when I got real crazy. Uh, and I find out we all get real crazy. I've had to come to believe that I ain't playing with a full deck. I keep going for royal flushes and there ain't no aces. I'll go for them. Not as often as I used to. Thank God. Uh, but, I, you know, it's that all we're all here because we're not all there. I love that saying. Um, and the one I got on my dashboard that says it doesn't take much to make this program, but it takes all you got. Those are my two of my favorites.
Um, I got here. They told me I might be too smart to recover. And I proceeded to try and get dumb. And I really believe that recovery over a period of time is a process of simplification. Not because that's so spiritual, not because that's so wonderful and morally right. It's because when you try all your shit and nothing works, and you're backed in a corner that you can't get out of clean, you tend to get real simple. I earned my simplicity, and I try to keep it simple. I earned every bit of it with pain and misery and insanity. Because my recovery, such that it is, you know, has been real painful at times. Has been full of insanity and full of obsession and full of substitution and full of all those things that we die of. My pain comes from living in contradiction. Contradiction to my moral values and contradiction to the spiritual principles that you taught me. When I live against those things, I die. When I live in contradiction, I live in pain. But I didn't know any of that. You know, I stayed clean on, on not having to use. And around 30, 40 days, I knew it all. You know, 90 days, those first three or four months, it was great. I got done kicking, and it was wonderful. My life, they didn't fire me from my job. I had a job, a wife, and two cars when I came to Narcotics Anonymous. None of them were any good for me. See, because I wasn't clean, and none of that shit made any difference. I'd gotten the job because the connection worked there. That means I could cop two hours earlier. You know, what the hell? <laughs> I came around and I went through the 90 day, you know, everything's great. Right. That didn't last real long. At six months, I went through the thing that a lot of us go through. Oh, my God. I knew I was sick, but I had no idea. <laughs> You know, see, because I've been clean six months, and I was still full of shit, and my life was still a mess. And, you know, I was crazy. And I got in touch with the second part of our disease. I believe very strongly in the disease concept. I've learned a lot about it over the years. Society's learned a lot about it over the years. We used to talk about this is like an allergy. You know, and that... When we use drugs, something happens. We have allergic reaction, for lack of a better term, they used to say. Um, and I really believe that because I look back into my childhood and I look back into my using, and I wasn't the same. I was different. You know, I always felt different. But you know, when they took my tonsils out and they gave me whatever the Valium or whatever the tranquilizer it was for the pre-op. You know, I got real hyper and arm wrestled with the nurse. And, you know, we'd all sit around getting loaded and, and everybody would get loaded but me. And I was saying, this is bunk. And they're saying, good shit. 
It was different. I'd shoot dope, I'd shoot stuff, and get active, clean up my room. I'd have a little speed, and you couldn't wake me up. Sometimes. Drugs acted differently in my body than it did in the bodies of some of the people I ran with. Uh, I don't know why, but I can accept that. Uh, I came here because my life was unmanageable. I told you about that. I was all used up. I was dying. Um, I felt that my life was out of control, that I could no longer continue to live, that I had to do something, and I didn't much care what it was. If you told me to take a swan drive off the San Francisco Bay Bridge, I would have gone for it because I was desperate. I did what I was told. I was told to change the way I lived. I was told to sit down, shut up, and listen. I was told never to pass. I was told that I couldn't live the way I was living, that I couldn't get up in somebody's face and call them a motherfucker anymore. I was told I had to act like a human being. I was told uh, that I couldn't hang out at the places I used to hang out at. I was told to let go of my old friends. I didn't have a problem with that. As soon as they found out I was clean, and they didn't want to have anything to do with me. We had nothing in common. My money didn't go with theirs to get more. Uh, I didn't have that problem. They left me alone. I chased after one or two of them. None of them ever cleaned up. I don't know what happened to it. Uh, one of them is still kicking around. He's not active in this program. I guess he's clean, more or less. Last time I saw him, I didn't want what he had to offer. But I want what you have to offer. I suspect the difference is Narcotics Anonymous. You know, that's where I get mine. I've never been a real active member of any other fellowship. I've attended some meetings, um, but I never belonged. I belong here. Um, you taught me how to live. You taught me about surrender. You taught me about all the things I know. I really don't have any original stuff. You know, I got it from you. And I continue to get it from you. You know, God works through people. So I got to listen to you. Because I never know who he's going to pick. God picks some of the damnedest people to work through. I don't believe it. Sometimes the last person I was to expect to save my life will do it. It's kind of like teach your children well. You never know when your life might depend on them. If you sponsor anyone, do a real good job. Because they may sponsor you someday. You know, 
I'd love to sit here and give you everything I've gotten in 15 years, have you know it perfectly, because then I could come up to you when my head is up my ass and say, help. And you could tell me what I already know. You know, my reaction to talking sometimes, if I can just remember this shit, I might be okay. You know, except when I'm off into self-obsession, when I'm off into my insanity, it's tough to remember. About all I got sometimes is you don't take nothing no matter what. The rest is, is gravy. I'm real grateful I don't live in the constant pain I lived in. I went through the other thresholds, the other crises. You know, the 11 months when you're getting scared about succeeding because you set the goal of a year. And you're off into self-destruction and failure again, afraid to succeed. I went through the, the 12 to 13 month, you know. Oh, I made it! I got it together! Shit! Oh, I got it! <laughs> yeah, right. My higher power kicked me in the ass behind that one. <laughs> and in the head, and in the stomach. <laughs> right. You get the picture. Um, I went through the, the 18 month, which was kind of like the, the six month and the three month. You know, I went through that shit where, oh shit. Oh no. I went through the thing that happens around three years. You know, again. Oh my God. I knew I was sick, but I had no idea. See, because in three years I'd made a little progress on the emotional illness. I'd gotten through some of the, the stuff that bugged me a lot. I'd written inventories, I'd talked, I'd been involved. But I hadn't done much about the spirit. And I came to realize how devastating the spiritual illness is. You know, I find out it was kind of like a pyramid or an iceberg. The tip is the physical. And, you know, if you're going to tear down a pyramid, you don't do it from the bottom. You do it from the top. Because then you could get the block loose and roll it down the side. And the only thing you see on an iceberg is the, the top end of it. I found out that the spiritual part of the physical part of my illness is the least of my illness. Anybody can kick a habit. People do it all the time. I believe that anybody can stay clean. People do that all the time, too. Tie me up. Fuck, I won't use as long as I'm tied up. <laughs> I was never raped by the drugs. They never cooked themselves up and jumped in my arms. I spent a lot of time my first few years using my answer to my insanity. I stuck my hands in my pockets. It's tough to use with your hands in your pockets. It's tough to steal with your hands in your pockets. It's hot, tough to punch somebody if you got your hands in your pockets. So I walked around like this. You know, because I was into those feelings and they had control of my life. And unless I restrained myself a little bit, you know, I'd do shit I didn't want to do. Part of me wanted to, part of me didn't want to. That dope fiend ambivalence coming at everything from at least two directions. You know, the saying, the normie is a person with one personality or less. You know, um, I swear I come at everything from at least two different directions. 
That's part of my problems. I can't make decisions. I can't make choices. I go at everything and I just get it up here and it runs. You know, I used to pray for the comfort of idiocy. If only I didn't have to think. You know, I damn near got it and wasn't comfortable. You damn near got it too. You know, that's what using was all about, wasn't it? Being okay with being who you are. I always thought I wanted to feel good. No, man. I wanted to feel okay. Because I never felt okay. It was never okay to be Greg. It was never okay to have the feelings I had. It was never okay to be awkward. It was never okay to not know what to say. You put me in a room with another human being, I automatically had a problem. I didn't know who to be. Because I knew if I bet was me, you'd be gone. And I was desperate for you. You know, I was reaching out, desperately searching for love and acceptance, and pushing it away with the other hand. You know, that mixture, that contradiction, feeling superior to and inferior to everyone I ever met. Um, I systematically destroyed every relationship I ever had. You taught me about relationships. I believe recovery is all about relationships. They may not be the ones we think of at first, but relationship with self, relationship with God, and relationship with others. I've heard several people come around and say, um, you know, no relationships for the first year. Bullshit. Get a sponsor. That's a relationship. Get a God. That's a relationship. Quit doing the things that got you here. Have a relationship with yourself for a change. If you want to avoid a little pain, write an inventory before you get obsessed with another human being. And find out what the rules are for you. That's my suggestion. Uh, don't get obsessed if you can help it with anything until you write an inventory. And do a fifth step. And find out a little bit about who you are. We're so into going for the things that destroy us, for going for the pain, uh, that that's what we go for until we know who we are. Find out who you are. Give yourself the time to find out the rules for you. I really believe strongly in that. You know, I think people relapse behind misplaced priorities. Something has become more important than staying clean. Whether that's a person, place, or thing, or an idea, or a philosophy, or whatever, something's become more important than staying clean. You know, if we stop feeding a habit with everything we got, emotionally, physically, and spiritually, we're going to start to accumulate some shit. And the trap is we'll begin to think we have something to lose. I still have nothing to lose. If I'm not clean, 
nothing matters. If I'm not clean, that fancy car ain't long for the world. If I'm not clean, my relationship with my wife is bullshit. If I'm not clean, I will abuse my kids. If I'm not clean, you can have the job. If I'm not clean, I got nothing. So I don't worry about any of that other crap. I worry about staying clean. That's my number one priority. You know, it'd be wonderful if you get something out of what I say, but it's much more important that I get something out of what I say. See, because I intend to be here. You know, I'm one of the people that believes when you come in the doors, there's a chair for you, and you better be willing to fight for it. And I'll fight for my seat. And I'll fight for my right to be a member of Narcotics Anonymous. You know, I love to joke around and kid around and get, a, you know, off into my defects and everything else. But when it comes down to where I live, it comes down to the nut cut. I get very serious because I have to, because I have a disease that will kill me unless I try to maintain my grasp and my action based on spiritual principles. I think it was about that two and a half year mark that I really started doing something. That I really started learning and really got desperate once again when I realized how spiritually ill I was. Oh, I was doing all the things. But you know, it's kind of like raising grapes. I don't know if anybody here has ever raised grapes. I've never have, but I've heard about it. Um, you got to plant the little trees in the ground, and you got to take care of them. And you got to water them and pull the weeds and shit like that. But you ain't going to get no fruit for three years. Not that's edible. I mean, you'll get a leaf, and it's neat. It, oh, man, look at the leaf. Wow. Huh? It's great. Um, you might get something that kind of looks like a grape. Wow, it's got a thing on it. But you put it in your mouth and you say, no, this is not a grape. Uh, and it ain't for a few years that you get good fruit. And that's kind of like what the program was for me, what recovery was for me. I think that sa the thing that saved me the most my first few years was substitution. I found other ways to ease the pain. I found other ways to uh, avoid Greg and my self-hatred. Um, I talk a lot about substitution. I'm real grateful for it, and I try not to do it as much anymore. But I still fall into the trap. You know, a year ago, they started pulling my teeth. And I went through the whole loss of youth thing. Uh, because, you see, only old people have dentures, right? Um, and it fucked with me. And I gained 60 pounds. Food helped ease the pain. 
That's one of the first things that, that happened when I came around the program. I doubled my weight. I eased the pain in food. You know, it's funny. When I was six, seven years old, fat kid, they gave me speed. Somehow I returned to that. Um, I gained 180 pounds. And I'm very grateful for it. Uh, number one, you know, I got a little relief. Number two, I had to learn how to like myself and hate the way I look. And that was real significant. Because I had to find out that there was a Greg in here. And I had to find out that this program was an inside job. And the freedom wasn't something that happened out here. It was something that happened in here. And that love, the only one that really counted, was the one that I felt. Not the one that you showed. The love I feel is more important than the love I get. My hope, my surrender, are much more important to me than what you can give me. What you can give me is a recharge and new information and new ideas and hope and courage. And you can hold my hand and you can give me a hug when I'm alone. And you can give me some things that are very, very important to me. But I've learned that what I got in here is what really counts. And I learned that maintaining that is my number one job. I went through a bunch of other stuff. Uh, it took another two and a half years before I reached the point where I had tried all my answers about God. You see, I came around here... And I tried everything I could think of. And when I ran out of things to think of, and it got to the point where this God shit that everybody's talking about had better be for real, or I'm fucked. At that point, I started to grow a little bit. And it's been a long battle. And it's been a joyful battle. And there have been a lot of surrenders, and there are going to be a lot more surrenders. But first and foremost, I surrendered to Narcotics Anonymous. And to me, Narcotics Anonymous is you and me and spiritual principles. And the rest of it's extra. Uh, I believe in the steps. Uh, if you have any reservations about the steps, don't work them. As long as you can stand it. Go ahead. Stand in the back of the room, hold up the wall, you know, pump iron, get a fancy car, high-priced job, you know, join the ranks of the cripple fuckers. Don't work the steps. As long as you can stand it. Don't admit that you're powerless over your addiction. The least of which is the drugs. 
Don't do it. You know why? Because it might change your life. And who the hell would want to change? You know, it's so good. They told me if I was hurting all the time, I was doing something wrong. They told me if I was raising hell, I was going to get hell. They taught me about the principle of reciprocity. That what I do in my life has a direct influence on the quality of my life. And I went for it. They told me if I didn't want to feel guilty that I shouldn't do the things that made me feel guilty. It took years to learn that. They told me if I didn't want to hurt to not do the things that made me hurt and not put myself in a position. A lot of my recovery has been avoidance. You know, don't put yourself in a position to use. You know, I really believe that all the steps have got actions tied in with them. I really think that someone who really way down deep believed that they were powerless over this disease, that they had a life-threatening disease that was out to kill their ass, would not be talking about going to the pool hall to have a Coke. I'm sorry, but that's where I come from. I had to change the way I live. The rules changed. I didn't know about them for a while until after I got around here. And recovery has been learning Greg's rules. You know, doing that fourth step stuff. Oh, God, don't work. Somebody was saying up here that they didn't want to work an inventory. Don't work one. As long as you can stand it. Don't find a higher power. Don't come to believe. I mean, then you couldn't run the show. It doesn't make any sense to come to believe. I mean, after all, if things are going to get good, I'm going to have to do it. It doesn't make sense. Don't do it. As long as you can stand it. I've come to believe that my life is unmanageable. I've accepted that. I can do all the right things... And it don't turn out Greg's way. And it's still a bitch. I hate that. But what the hell? No one said it was God anyway. Uh, I spent a lot of years playing God. Uh, today I don't have to. We don't compete. Uh, today I look to a power greater than myself for my answers. I've come to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. I didn't do that at first. I rubber-stamped that step. I said, I got it. <laughs> What's next? Um, there's some actions that are tied in with coming to believe that a power greater than yourself can restore you to sanity. Uh, I suspect that someone who really believed that they had power greater than themselves that was going to take care of them, would not run from crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis like I used to. I went out looking for the crisis. I don't have to do that anymore. I get enough shit in my life without having to create any more. It just finds me. There's Greg. <laughs> you know, um, I have enough to do just dealing with comes up in the course of living. I don't have to go out looking for trouble.
I used to, because you see, I wasn't looking. I was looking for magic. It wasn't trouble. I was, I was what I was looking for, but I didn't think of it that way. I was looking for that person, place, or thing that would make everything okay. Desperately. I was looking for a fix. And I ran around the program looking to get fixed. Now, a lot of people go to conventions to get fixed. I don't. I love conventions. Um, my first convention was the first world convention. Um, and I've been going to them ever since. There was a time when there was only one convention a year. And you had to wait all year long for this stuff. I love the feelings. I love the friendships. I love the fact that we don't leave each other, that we'll come back after a year or two, and it's as if we've never been apart. I love what you teach me. I love seeing the light come on in your eyes. I love the feelings. But I don't come here to get fixed. Uh, I've come to conventions to get high. But you've got to come down when you go home. And I didn't want to. I went kicking and scratching. But I came to realize that if I tried to live this way all the time, it would destroy me just as surely as the drugs. If I did this 365 days a year, I would burn out so quick and fall so low that I might as well be using. These are wonderful, but we do have to go back and live a day at a time. My higher power only exists in the present. When I'm off into the past, when I'm off into my resentments, I'm out of touch with God. If I'm fantasizing about the future, there ain't no room for God. I'm writing Greg's plan for the universe. Um, today I realize that I can write Greg's plan for the universe all I want and has no relationship with reality, and it's okay. Sometimes I really enjoy it. Um, it's fun to fantasize. Sometimes. I don't have to live there anymore. Uh, I don't have to live out of touch all my life. I spent enough time out of touch. I'm sorry to say this, but I had to work the third step. For real. Um, it's still the hardest thing for me to do. The hardest thing for me to do is to make that decision and commitment to follow the path I've chosen. To make that decision and commitment to live God's way and not Greg's way. It's tough. You see, because I still have all the same instant reactions. You know, when someone gets up in my face, I still go <clears throat> way down deep inside. But it no longer has the power it had. It doesn't show on the outside. And I have to say, wait a second. You know, it's, I had to learn how to become a third party to my life and my insanity and my thinking and my feelings. <laughs> it was kind of like, well, you remember those acid trips when all you had left was don't forget you took something? 
It's the drugs. It's the drugs. It's the acid. You're going to come down. Don't forget. Remember that? That's how I live. You know, don't forget you're crazy. Thoughts aren't things. Feelings aren't facts. It ain't necessarily so. This may have nothing to do with what's reality. I watch my, my, my life like a movie that goes on my head up here. It's kind of like Monty Python. Boy, that was a good one. Where'd that come from? Oh, boy. And I enjoy it. It's funny. You know, I learn to laugh at myself. That's the second most important thing I learned around here. Not to take myself too damn seriously. You know, a lot of people say the S on the end of halts is don't be too serious. Uh Uh-uh. Don't take yourself too serious. Because I was serious as a heart attack about everything. Tight, you know. Muscles tightened up in my fanny. I was serious. I ain't that serious anymore. I enjoy my defects. I enjoy my fantasy. I enjoy my lust. I enjoy all these wonderful things in life. I enjoy the sunshine. I enjoy being out here with a little bit of breeze. I don't have to have a tight ass anymore. You taught me how to relax a little bit. I mean, I can get up here and, and everybody can turn around and walk out. And I ain't here for you. I'm here for me. Because this is how I live. It's part of my 12th step. It ain't carrying the message. It's practicing these principles in all of my affairs. As I said before, don't write an inventory. As long as you can stand it. I always add that. Um, I think a lot of us, and me included, have the mis idea that an inventory is all about show and tell, which I think is very neat and real important, that too. I mean, to really let another human being know what you've done and who you are. But when I read the step, it says searching and fearless moral inventory. To me, that means I have to assess my morality. I have to take an inventory. I have to take stock of my morality, of what's right and wrong for Greg, of what my rules are. Uh, Lois and I have been married, like I said, 16 years. I don't cheat on my wife. It's okay for me to run with a gal and enjoy him and talk to him and get a hug. But I don't sleep with them. That's one of Greg's rules. Okay? Now, you may not have the same rules, and that's okay, but I got mine, and I got to live by mine. Emergency call for Joseph Cavanaugh at desk in Kerr Union Building. Um, I got to live by my rules. When I don't live by my rules, I go crazy. When I don't live by my rules... I get pain. When I don't live by my rules, my life goes to shit. 
And I came in here and I didn't have any idea what the rules were. What Greg's rules were. What my morality was all about. I had to learn, and that's what the fourth step is for. Four and five. That's what it's for, so I can learn the rules. So I don't, you know, it's kind of like if you don't know that the burner on the stove is hot, you'll put your hand on it. But once I found out it was hot, I had a choice. This program gives me choices. I don't have to put my hand on the burner and go, you know, I don't have to do that. I have a choice. Sometimes I choose to go with my defects and I get the expected results. Pain. Thank God I don't have to choose as often. But still, every once in a while, I choose. I learned that it ain't okay for me to steal. I came around the program. I could not go in the store without taking something. I learned Greg's rules. I learned about the principles of this program. You taught me. I tried them, and I can't do it. A big part of my recovery is living within my morality and not doing the things that fuck me up. Fifth step was very important to me. Um, There's something very special about trusting another human being with everything. Um, There were some lies on my first inventory. I wanted to impress the person I was reading them to. I had to talk to that. Um, I was still off into what you would think. It's still important to me that you like me. But I'll like me even if you don't. It's no longer necessary for me to get your acceptance to survive. But it was. That's a lesson I had to learn. Six and seven are two of my favorite steps. Um, Because they're really brought a lot of freedom in my life. I kind of look at them a little weird. That's okay. It's to be expected. What the hell? Um, I relate them to the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. I can't change those defective parts of Greg. I can't manufacture any more cards for that partial death. You know, I have my defects. Uh, probably uh, the one single most painful defect I have is obsession with self. That breaks out, in, you know, all those other things. But way down deep, it's all self-obsession. Uh, I can't do anything about that. When I walk in a room, I still have that instant reaction about what are they going to think? They're going to look at me. When I get up here, you know, I wonder if my pants are slipping down. You know, self-obsession. I wonder what you're going to think. I hope you like me. Uh, I know that. It's wonderful 
Um, this is the only place in the world where people will love us because we're addicts, rather than in spite of. The fifth step was special. I didn't get any big light bulbs. I didn't get a lot of things that I expected, that I had in my plan. Um, but I got a feeling. Six and seven made that feeling real. I don't go for changing my defects. I tried. I worked real hard at fixing Greg. I'm going to do this, and it's going to. I'm going to pray for 45 minutes, and then I'm going to do this, 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 and everything is going to be all right. Wrong. My life is unmanageable. I'm powerless over my defects. I'm glad there's a seventh step because. You see, that's where I come in, uh, the courage to change the things I can. I believe that the way that God removes our shortcomings is by giving us the strength and courage not to live in them. I believe that shortcomings are the manifestation of our defects. You know, lust is maybe the defect. The fact that I drive around the block three or four times is a shortcoming. Um, that's okay. Shortcomings are actions. They're the way the defects manifest. And I'm given a choice. My seven-step prayer is God give me the strength and the courage to live beyond my defects. That works for me. I don't know if it'll ever work for anybody else, but it works for me. Um, eight and nine, amends. Don't make amends. Don't do it as long as you can stand it. I hate making amends. It's worse than writing an inventory. No one wants to go up to someone and say, I was, uh, I'm sorry, um, you know, anybody could have done it. No, you know, I was loaded. No. Um, to me, that's not what amends are about. The most important amend I can make is the way I live. And that's an amend to me. And an amen to you. And amen to my God. I'm all into living the program. I'm all into living a better way. Uh, I've gone up and made my list and sat down and I've made some amends. I don't have... I don't have any amends that I can think of that I owe for my using days. I'm sure some will come up as I continue to grow and continue to remember. Uh, but I think I've addressed most of those. And I don't make excuses. You know, the excuses we make in amends, kind of like the excuses we made when we went and saw people we knew. You know, I don't use anymore, but I'm still cool. It's kind of like, you know... Well, yeah, I did that, but, you know, I was loaded. I am responsible for my actions. Thank you. Um, no, I just need I am responsible for my actions. I'm not responsible for my disease. I didn't choose addiction. I'm real grateful for it because it got me here, and it got me free. The bondage of addiction led me to the point where I had no choice but to recover. And I'm real grateful for that. 
Addiction gave me you. And I'm real grateful for that because my life depends on you. I believe that God gives me the strength not to take those actions, not to fuck you over, not to fuck me over, not to steal, not to lie, not to do all those things that I used to do every day. And, you know, the seventh step is kind of weird, too. You know, it says, humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings. You know what the answer is? God's answer is real neat. He says, no sweat. Got it covered. Here's what I want you to do. 8, 9, 10, 11. I'm skipping around stuff. 12. Uh, I'm skipping around stuff that I just thought about that about. 7. Amends. Um, Clear away the wreckage of my past. I don't believe the fourth step. I've got some. Thank you. Um, I don't believe the fourth step. Cleared the wreckage of my past. I think the fourth step made me aware of the wreckage of my past and taught me what my rules for living are. Uh, the eighth, ninth step is where I got my relief from my guilt, from my remorse, from my shame in my past. The tenth step has become perhaps the most important to me on a daily basis. I believe there are three ways we approach that. One is a periodic reassessment of Greg. It's usually focused on a specific area, a specific topic, a specific time frame. And I write. I believe in writing. Uh, I believe in writing every step. I believe in taking action. You know, the question that everybody asks, yeah, but how do you work the steps? You know, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but what do I do? That question that we all get asked that it's so tough to answer. You know, I I try to answer that there are three things I do. The first thing I do is acknowledge the step, become aware of it. The second thing I do is I do some research. I find out about it. I ask questions. I write about it. I search myself about it. The third thing I do is I take the actions that fit with the step. Um, the second way I practice the 10th step is I do look back at my day. Uh, most people go for that when they sit down in the evening and take a look at their day, maybe write it down. I think that's wonderful. One problem I've had with that is I can create so much shit in 24 hours that it takes me months to dig out of it. And I'm sorry, I'm not into pain today. I'm not into that kind of pain. I'm not into creating wreckage of the present. Uh, I had enough trouble with the wreckage of the past and the wreckage that comes out that I don't create. Um, I'm not into creating wreckage of the present. So I've kind of increased my tenth step to cover up right now. Part of my tenth step is a monitoring process. You know, I've learned that some road signs in my life. Um, some flags that wave. You know, it's kind of like driving down the highway, and there's a sign that says, Bridge washed out ahead. Now, I can choose to keep driving, or I can turn a different way. I choose to turn a different way today, most of the time. Sometimes I'll go for the bridge, but what the hell. <coughs> and I watch for those things. There's some things in my life that are very significant that I look for. How much time am I spending escaping the here and now and my feelings? 
Oh, that's a good one. I find that, I'm, and I've got nothing against a little bit of, you know, fantasy and a little bit of daydreaming and a little bit of, you know, wow, that's neat. <laughs> you know, I think it's wonderful. I think we all need some kind of relief at times like that. But I don't want to live there. Uh, and I watch how much of my time I'm spending uh, in my obsessions, in my diversions. I've gotten strung out on everything, not everything, but a hell of a lot of things since I've been clean. I told you about the food. Reading, that's a good one. It's all right to sit up all night and read a book, but if you do it three and four nights in a row and you're falling asleep on the highway on the way to work, that's addiction. Put my life on the line for one more chapter. I bet my life that I can finish this book before I sleep. Um, working, right? Not working. Those are good ones. Um, sex. There was a period of time when I couldn't sleep unless I made love with my wife or jacked off. Um, Today, I can usually sleep without doing those things, if I choose. Um, one of the nice things about me and married is I have a choice. Sometimes, sometimes I'd rather jack off. You see, because I'm still not real good in interpersonal relationships. You know, because I'm still self-obsessed and... And I still sometimes don't want to bother with emotional commitment. Uh, I'm sorry. I have a friend who's been clean a lot longer than I have who says, after 25 years, I'm so emotionally mature, I fall in love with my hand. Um, it's okay. I have to watch the frequency of things. I'm, I collect things. I moved three ton of rock from California to Oregon to Georgia. And I'm going to take it with me next time I go somewhere, too. Um, stamps, coins, uh, bottles, uh, you name it. I'm a pack rat. I'll keep it. Archives. Um, shit, I got stuff going back into the 50s. Narcotics and honest stuff. Uh, I love it. I try to share it. I want to get my photocopier fixed so I can make more copies. Uh, because there's some exciting things, you know. You pull out a world directory from 1972. There's some exciting things there. And what happened to those people? You remember back to a time when you went driving in Pennsylvania and in the snow in 78. And what happened to those people? Where are they? Uh, some of them are here. You know, a couple of them are here today. That's exciting to me. This works. Uh, as long as I work it. The 11th step has also become very important to me. I've had a couple of problems with it. I tried to work it before I worked the third step. It's real tough to improve something you haven't got. If you take away all the extra words that says sought to improve, and the way they modify that is they tell you how... You improve your relationship with your higher power through prayer and meditation. If you haven't got one, you can't prove it. Um, my meditation is very simple. A lot of times, you know, well, I don't know about you, but when I wake up in the morning, the first thing to go is my head. 
And usually it's about two or three miles past my body. You know, I'll go, bang, you know, as soon as I come to consciousness, my head is gone. And, you know, I'm still laying in the bed and I'm still and I'm planning what's going to happen that afternoon. One of my big jobs is getting my head and my body back together. That's meditation for me. Getting into the present, getting out of the past. Uh, I spend some time in the morning trying to catch my head. Here it is. Oh, I got it. Where? Come on. Reel it back in. You know. Um, trying to get my head and my body back together so I don't miss all the goodies. Because if they ain't together, I don't get the goodies. I don't get the love. Love only exists in the present. I don't get God. God only exists in the present. Or at least I can only make contact in the present. Um, I don't get the goodies unless I'm here. Believe me, I'm here with you right now. And that's wonderful because I get the goodies. If I was thinking about this or that or job tomorrow, I've got to go to work. Oh, God, I've got to go. How would I? You know, I'd have no contact and God wouldn't work through me. I told you God works through the damnedest people. Um, you know, I really believe that I get to be used as a channel for God's love. I also believe that each and every one of us get to be used as a channel for God's love, as a channel for spirituality, as a channel for principles. But I have to choose to live that way. And my awareness and my contact that I work on and catching my head and taking a moment of meditation underneath the prayer to reaffirm my commitment to my higher power before I even get up here and ask to be used as a channel as part of my 11th step. Of all the steps, perhaps 12 is my favorite because I think it describes recovery. The 12th step. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, a life based on the awakening of the Spirit in me and in you, a life based on a new set of rules, spiritual principles, a life based on hope and acceptance and love rather than resentment, anger, and fear, a life based on giving instead of taking. I was a great taker. A life based on Respecting you. You know, it's like the old Karina thing. Compassion, action, respect, and empathy in Narcotics Anonymous. I don't know why we ever got rid of that. It makes a lot of sense. Compassion, action, respect, empathy in Narcotics Anonymous. A life based on the awakening of spirit. A new life, a rebirth. The twelfth step says it. We try to carry this message to addicts. To me, telling you that there's hope, telling you that Narcotics Anonymous works. Um, again, an old friend of mine was at a, at a dinner that we paid 15 bucks for or something like that. And he said, you know, if you don't know Narcotics Anonymous, you're a real chump to come here and pay all this money. You already know. You know NA works. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. Or at least if you didn't hope it would work. A lot of times it was hope it would work. You know, the bottom line so many times, you know, is either what you people have told me is true or it's not. And if it's not, 
I'm lost. It don't make no difference if you're bullshitting me. This whole program may be bullshit. It may be bullshit to turn your will and your life over to the care of God as you understand Him. It may be bullshit to write inventories. It may be bullshit to write to make amends. It may be bullshit to, to do all the things I do in my recovery. But you know, it's been a good 15 years. I mean, what the hell? This is the best it's ever been. If I find out tomorrow it was all bullshit, what the hell? I'm a winner. I've already won. I get mine from just giving up. I think carrying the message to the addict who still suffers is very, very important. Um, it's funny. I still believe that first and foremost, that's the newcomer. Yes, I suffer at times. But you see, I have a sponsor, I have friends, I have resources, I have a copy of the basic text, I have a copy of this, I have a copy of that. I have places I can go. I have resources. The, the newcomer has no resources. We have to provide those for them. I really believe that that's talking first and foremost about the person who just comes in the door. You know, how many times do we turn them away? How many times do we push them away? How many times do we snatch them up and don't let them find recovery? We don't want them to get well sometimes. Oh, man, don't get well. I can't use you then. Don't you dare get well. Don't you dare learn how to stand up on your own two feet and trust God. Don't you dare learn... And grow up. You know, I'm into using and abusing. You know, we've all seen that here this weekend, haven't we? It hurts. Sometimes I could cry for the people who haven't made this program. And the people that I loved. See, because I'm the only person I know for sure. That got clean in 1970 in Narcotics Anonymous. And I wasn't the only newcomer. And some of those people I loved, and some of them are dead. I'm the only one I know. And you're very dear to me. You're very special to me. Because it's through your recoveries that I get hope when I got no hope. That I can touch my God when I'm in my head. That I can fulfill the rest of that 12 step, practice these principles in all my affairs. You know, I really try to base my life on what you've taught me. When I have a decision to make, I ask myself what's most con consistent with the principles of Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, and I'll go for it most of the time. Sometimes I won't. And I'll know it. And I know I have to pay the price. If you're having trouble deciding whether or not to do something, ask yourself, what does the program teach? What do the principles say? What's spiritual? What's giving? What's honest? What's open? 
What would someone who is really recovering do? And I do those things. That's part of practicing these principles in all my affairs. I try to base my life on our spiritual principles, and there are more than 24 of them. I got a list of 50 some odd in my room, and I'm sure I've missed most of them. Um, reciprocity, courage, forgiveness, hope, all those things, all those positive things. You know what's the funny thing about spiritual principles? You know how you can tell the difference? Spiritual principles feel good. Self-obsession feels bad. So now, like, how can you tell whether you're giving something up or stuffing it down? Am I stuffing these feelings, you know, or, or am I turning them over? You know what the difference is? It's the quality of energy. It takes energy to keep it down. I used to think there were only two choices. Either keep it down, keep it down, no matter what. You know, either that or you grab it and go for a ride. You know, I found out that it's possible to have those feelings flow up through and out and not hold them down and not grab onto them either. I try to do that in my daily life. I always think it's kind of funny when I'm asked to speak at, at a spiritual meeting when I think of the normal definition of spiritual. Um, we're all spiritual. It's all spiritual. Sometimes I do good with that. Sometimes I do poor with that. But I stay clean. And in staying clean, the door gets open. Um, look around you. Have you touched the person next to you? Have you touched them with more than their hand? Have you touched them with your heart? Would you trust them with your life? Would you trust them enough to risk their rejection and be honest with them? Would you trust that person next to you Enough to love them. Sometimes I can't do that. But sometimes I can. And it's in places like this and events like this and in these meetings that I can do that the most often. It's in Narcotics Anonymous that I am the least into my self-obsession. So I stay in Narcotics Anonymous. I don't do it perfect, and I grow, and I learn, and I cry, and I laugh. You know, this program's all about living. It's all about living free at last. It's all about life. It's all about growing up. It's all about becoming real people. It's all about becoming who we are. You know, if we can do that, it's unbelievable what can happen. 
And in Chicago, when I talked, you know, I said something that I try to say because it's something I believe very, very strongly. I mean, we can get what people have sacrificed their lives for for thousands and thousands of years just by staying clean, just by practicing these principles in all our affairs. We can make a difference in the world. Your recovery and my recovery and his recovery and her recovery can change the world. And when we can learn that the only things that count aren't vulnerable, you can't take away my recovery. I can't be fired from my recovery. I can throw it away. When I learn that the only things that really count aren't vulnerable except to me, and I live this way, and I touch other people, not just dope fiends, when I show them how, how I live, when I show them that I can care, that I'm capable of getting in touch with my feelings, that I'm capable of shedding a tear, that I'm capable of setting aside my self-obsession long enough to make contact. Think of, what, think of what all of us can do. You know the prayer at the end of the meeting? You know that feeling, that electricity, that magic, that, that power? I mean, that can change the world. If we can keep the hugs going in our heart. You know. The promise is freedom. Thank you. Chairperson for the Seventh East Coast Convention Committee to come up here and say a few words. Rich B. I'm an addict. My name's Rich. Hi, family. It's almost time to say goodbye, family, but I'm not going to say it. I'm just going to say it until we meet again. You know, because I know we are going to meet again, each and every one of us. I'm so grateful to have so many of us here to share in such a, a spiritual experience today. For the seventh year in a row, look what we got up there. You know, is that a miracle? Got a 100% track record for the East Coast Convention, spiritual meeting. I ain't got no words to close this thing with you.